you so much. And I just pray right now in this moment that you just please just reveal yourself. As we open up our hearts to you, I pray that you would open up our hearts and open up our ears for this and what you have to speak to us this morning. Because we want to hear from you in Jesus' name, I pray. Among God's people said, tell you, it's been a privilege and honor to come up here and follow up with this team and their, their worship abilities. It's, it's been phenomenal. You know, all around the world today and uh, early into the morning, everybody that's a believer, that's a strong Christian, is celebrating the Passover. You know, this is a big week for us in Christendom. In fact, it's so huge that people uh, take a trek to Jerusalem and they'll reenact Jesus' with the cross down the Via Del Rosa, through the path of suffering, across the Kidron Valley, on, on and on and on, the whole area, and just really trying to emulate what Jesus went through. And so for us, it's, it's been amazing just to see what God does. Think about it. For the first time in a long time in America, Christians are what we consider numerically in the minority. Uh, in, in other words, there's, it's beginning to get smaller and smaller and smaller, the number of Christians in America, compared to the numbers in America. But what's interesting is, and I want to be careful what I say because this being recorded in podcast, I don't want to say too much uh, in, in some ways, but it's amazing that outside of America, there's, there's a massive growth of Christianity. And you see, what happens is when people are in situations where everything has been stripped away, then they begin to realize that there is a Jesus. And so for us, we, we, we sometimes don't get to see that because we live in a land where uh, truly the needs that we have have been met by the goodness of the Lord. But sometimes those needs are not always met in other places to the degree that they're met here. And so sometimes we're not as desperate for the Lord as we are. Now, we're seeing it as Christians because, believe it or not, with Christians' numbers getting smaller, we're, we're, we're not necessarily, I don't want to say persecuted. Uh, we might be made fun of. We might be uh, uh, looked down upon. We might be taught behind our back. And that's nothing new because Jesus said, you know, that no student is greater than his teacher. If the world hates me, it's going to hate you. So we're emotionally, spiritually, physically prepared for those things. But it, it hasn't happened like that in a long time in this country. So we're just getting more and more pushback. So when I think about that, I think about what does it look like to walk with the Lord? Here it is. This is one of our topics across uh, many churches. Maybe some of you grew up in or you've been to. Uh, they will walk down. I mean, the children, everybody's bringing their palm branches, and they're celebrating the Lord. And, and don't get me wrong. Those things are excellent. And I'm not touching anybody's heart, but I know at Summit that I don't want a performance. I want a person. I want Jesus. And so what we try to do, and I've been on, I've been on kind of a rampage this week. For those that have that journeyed with me this week a little bit, you know, at chapel, I, I kind of got a little excited and, um, towards the end. And then, of course, at Campus Worship on Thursday. How many were there at Campus Worship Thursday night? And I'm pretty scuffed, y'all. And the Lord, didn't the Lord show up? It was really good. And uh, just kind of, I've just been burning. I've just been burning inside. And you know what happens? It's like G.K. Chesterton said, uh, you know, a burning heart produces a flaming tongue. And so I want a burning heart. I want people to come and watch Jesus burn in me. 
And so when I was reading this scripture about this past, uh, this, this uh, week about the passion, and you know we've been doing this whole series about the resurrection, and we've been looking at the resurrection throughout scripture because resurrection equals hope, and the word for the year is hope. And I know that sounds like a, oh, hope, that sounds all nice and nice and nice. But listen, you don't need hope unless you're in a position where you need hope. And so I, I want us to look at a little bit of a journey today. So I'm going to start in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, but we're going to end up in 2 Kings. And we're going to continue on this journey. So in the Gospel of John chapter 12, and I was studying this in my, in my uh, quiet time with the Lord. I, I wasn't going to use this for the sermon uh, this week, but I was just kind of coming across in my time with the Lord. John chapter 12, Jesus has the triumphal entry. And y'all know what I'm talking about, where he rides there on the donkey and everybody is uh, taking out their outer garments and laying throwing them down as he's riding through and they're waving palm branches and they're saying, Hosanna! In the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word Hosanna means save. So they're yelling to Jesus, save us, save us. And so it's during Passover, and they're over here in the temple, and they open up the Messiah's gate because the Messiah's must come from the east. Jerusalem swells from about 25,000 to 125,000 people during this time. I mean, there's people from all over the place. And, and all of a sudden, you know, the Pharisees are ticked off because they've been looking to try and kill Jesus for quite some time. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. So now he has even more following. And they went into the city earlier. And they told everybody what's going on. So the whole city's in an uproar waiting for this Jesus. Who is he? Is he a prophet? Is he a priest? Is he a king? Is he a lunatic? What is he? Who is he? So he comes in in this triumphal entry. And, and listen, they're getting nervous. The Pharisees are getting nervous because they're like, if they keep doing this, there's going to be a, a revolt. And then Pilate's going to shut us down and he's going to wax us. I mean, because that's such a volatile area. Jerusalem was the outpost that Caesar would send to a governor that he really didn't care much about because he was sent to that place because it was like really just sent to a really bad place. And that's what Jerusalem was considered. And so, you know, Pilate ruled with this iron thumb, like, we're not going to have any revolts. We're not going to have any of this stuff. I'm going to shut it all down if that happens. And so they're trying to tell people to shut up, shut up. Quit calling out save. Quit calling out Hosanna. Quit saying that. Quit saying Hosanna. You don't need save. You've got Caesar. You don't need save. You've got the high priest. Shut up. You're going to get us all in trouble. Jesus. Right there, and they tell him, Jesus, you tell him to shut up. Jesus says, if I tell him that, even the rocks will cry. So then all of a sudden, we get to verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look. The whole world has gone after him. That's after his triumphal entry. Here on Palm Sunday, he's going in to lay down his life, and they're saying, look, the whole world's going after him. We're getting nowhere. The desperation, you can hear it in the very word of God. You can hear it. They can't wait to get a hold of him and kill him. Then, this passage that comes across wrecks me. I don't even understand it. I've read it. I can't tell you how many times I have read the Gospel of John, and this just leaped out to me. Verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And I know you're saying, 
Greece is above Jerusalem, John, what do you mean went up? Jerusalem is on a high holy hill. It's a city on a hill. So you have to go down a valley anywhere you come. You go down a valley to go up there, whether you're coming from the shore or, or whether you come down from the east, from the Kibon Valley or of the, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. You go down and you come up. Mount Wallace, you go down and you come up. And so it's going up. And so here are these Greeks there and, and, and they, they're there. And what do they want? And who do they want? Verse 21, they came to Philip, who's a disciple, who was from Bethsaida Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And so that's what a lot of people say to us. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And here are these Greeks, and I'm reading this, I'm going, Lord, you know, I've read this before, but here are these Greeks, these, these people that are so far removed from Israel, and they want to see you. Verse 22. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus, there's some Greeks here that want to see you. What are you going to do? They want to see you. I mean, the, the, Jerusalem is swelled to over uh, 125,000 people are here. Almost uh, 100,000 don't even live in this area. And they come for the Passover. And they're coming to seek, is there a God? And who is he? And the power of God. And so this is a great time for you to proclaim your name and get this whole out to the world. And here's what Jesus says, something very interesting. Verse 23, Jesus replied, and Jesus always does something I never expect. And y'all know when you walk with the Lord, right? He always does something you never expect. Just look where we all are. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, I don't have my Greek Testament, but I bet it's amen and amen. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. This is the strangest answer for me when I first, just strange. I mean, people want to see you, and he says, hey, my hour's come. It's time to be glorified, and let me tell you what it looks like. I'm going to give you an agricultural reference. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus will say this. They said, Jesus, they want to see you. And Jesus says this. If you want to see me, look to my death. That's what he said. And then he gives them something even more, even more phenomenal. He says in verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it. And anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So Jesus is saying at this very moment, you want to see me? Look right to my death. Because what's going to happen? My death is like a kernel. It's going to die. And then it's going to, and then all of a sudden, at my death, there's going to be raised, it's going to raise up some bush. And then that bush is going to produce many fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. All this is going to happen because I am going to die. If you want to see me, then look at my death. And I went, how many times have I read this, Lord, and I missed it? If we want to see Jesus, then we must see his death. Look at verse 24 again. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and what saints? Dies. That's the answer he gave to Philip and Andrew to take back to the Greeks. Watch me die. You want to see me? It's time for you to see me die. Why would anyone want to look at death? Many of them in this room have watched people die. I, you know, as a pastor, you know, 
part of our responsibility is being there ministering to people through that death process. And, and, and listen, it's no fun. It's emotionally wearing. I remember one time I was at the hospital, some real medical, this lady was, was dying, and I remember her, her doors opening, and I remember putting my head against the wall, and I said, Lord, I've been around so much death, and, and it was recent uh, to, to when they, my father died. I remember putting my head against the wall and said, Lord, I, I, Lord, I just can't do this anymore. Like, I can't just be around watching all this death. Like, it's really starting to bother me. And yet, you're saying, watch death. Like, what beauty comes from death? And then the Spirit spoke to me. Because Jesus' death tells, tells us who He is. Jesus' death destroys our judgment. Jesus' death opens the veil to God. Jesus' death opens our way to the Father. But Jesus' death destroys our unrighteousness and gives us righteousness. Jesus' death destroys our inability to love and gives us His love and paves the way for the Holy Spirit. That's the beauty of Jesus' death. And so at that, I just, I just shut up. And then the Holy Spirit, that's understanding, said, John, remember Matthew. So I'm turning. I lifted up Matthew 27, 51 says this. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. At the very moment of Jesus' death, there was a, a highway of holiness to the Father. And that's the beauty of death. If you want to look at Jesus, you always have to look at his death. Therefore, the resurrection is what equals hope. It's his death and resurrection are so powerful because they defeated the last enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says this. The last enemy is, to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is what, saints? So why are we looking at, why, why does resurrection bring hope? So this all of a sudden, as I was reading this, and the Spirit saying, Johnny says, look to my death. And I said, great, God, that goes exactly where you're leading me. I want to do something totally different on Palm Sunday that people don't ever do. And I'm just going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to dare say that you can try and Google this. But I don't know how many pastors will actually preach this passage on Palm Sunday. But I think it's so relevant because on Palm Sunday, when he went into the city, the first thing he does when, the, when they come to him, Philip and Andrew, and say, these Greeks want to see you, he says, look to my death. Then we need to take a look at a death. And I love the Old Testament as it shows these death and resurrection stories. And then and we're getting ready to like the last one in the Old Testament, this resurrection story, before we get into the time of Christ's resurrection story. And I want to tell you, there's this prophet named Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha. Elisha was, his, uh, was Elijah's protege. And, and we don't have a lot of story, uh, a lot of words of Elisha, but we have a lot of miracles. Elijah had eight, I believe, miracles there within the promised land. Elisha had 16. But there was one that was very powerful. In fact, it was his last one that I know of, but it becomes so powerful because really all these resurrection stories are just showing what it is for Jesus. So turn to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings, I really don't know anybody who's going to use 2 Kings on Passover, but since we're at Summit and we're all a little bit cray-cray anyway, in a good way, uh, then we'll just go there because y'all are wrong and y'all let me get wrong and so here we go. So here's what happens. Let me set it up for you. There's this, this king of Israel, Jehoash, and, and, and he was this king, and, and he was not right with the Lord. He wasn't doing things right by God, and there was this 
army kind of breathing down on him, and the prophet Elisha is dying. He's in a sickness that's going to lead to death, right? He's in a sickness that's going to lead to death, and he comes to, to the prophet, he's like, right, when he sees him, he looks at him, and literally, he, he, he is blown away. He goes, when he sees how sick the prophet is, he goes, my father, my father. It's not really his real father, but that was a, just a, a way of saying, you're unbelievable. And he's so sick. And then, he, and then he looks and he makes a statement. He says, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, in other words, he's like, you look as bad as our chariots and horsemen. You, you, you've gotten so few and, and so little. As, I mean, you look bad. And then he says, they've been coming against us. And so then all of a sudden, the prophet Elisha says, I want you to take this bow and I want you to hit it, strike the ground. And he only strikes the ground a couple of times. And the prophet Elisha rips him. He said, look. He said, had you struck it, struck the ground more, you destroyed more people. Then, this is where it gets flipped. So Elisha is going to get to the point of death. Here it is, 2 Kings chapter 13. This is a wild story. If you like wild, if you like really wild stuff, which is, if you're at Summit, you're wild to begin with. I'm just assuming right now. Y'all are the wild, so we're going there. Verse 20. Elisha died and was what, saints? Okay, he's graveyard dead. He's not like just in a hospital. He's not in the morgue. He was buried. He was buried in his tomb. Graveyard dead. Cold. Kind of like some places we are in life, aren't we? Huh? Kind of like some places we are. Sometimes we walk in places and you can just feel the coldness. You can feel the thickness. You can feel the spiritual attack. Graveyard dead. But check this out. Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Now, the Moabites are interesting people because the Moabites are actually the, the grandsons of Lot. You remember Abraham had a nephew and his name was what? Lot. Well, these are Lot's grandsons. And yet they're attacking Israel, which, you know, the lineage of Israel is from the covenant with Abraham. So it's very interesting. So in the spring, they would come. And so now we're getting ready to go into this funeral procession where there's a funeral procession where they're carrying this dead man's body and the Moabites are going to come and attack. Why? They're raiding. They're raiding. They're going to get his money. They're going to get anything they're bearing with him. They're bearing him with any treasures. They're going to try and take it all away. So it's a pretty cool story. They get even wild. Wilder. Verse 21. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. When the body touches Elisha's bones, this man stood up on his feet. Father, you're going to have to make it clear because I can't. It sounds like one of those. It doesn't even sound real, but we know it's real because we you put your stamp of approval on it. It's in your word. It's infallible and errant. And everything from the, the beginning of the cover all the way to Max is true. So I'm praying you make this real to us. Lord, let people see Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. They don't. Hate them. 
love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, we all said what? All right, so here's the story. You see it. The raiders come. They take this man's body. They throw it into the tomb. It touches Elijah's bones, and immediately the man is resurrected. Does anybody find that strange? I mean, I can't imagine us going out to a graveyard right now. We go downtown somewhere to a graveyard, and all of a sudden we move one of those old covers, and all of a sudden we just throw a body in there, and all of a sudden the body comes to life. I mean, is that not just unbelievable? And you think, well, John, what does that got to do with Jesus? What's that got to do with Passover? What does that got to do with the resurrection? Well, here it is. I want to just give you two points. It's all on Facebook. It's all on summitcharleston.com. Here we go. Why is there hope? Even when nothing else remains, and I'm very thankful for those words, remains by Artie Patterson and Herman Stell. They kind of use this word. Now, even when nothing else remains, there is still Jesus. When nothing else remains, there is still Jesus. In other words, Elisha's tomb was the last option, but it was the best option. They're going to bury this man in a tomb. Here comes the raiders. Oh my word, we're all going to die. This guy's already dead. we got a chance to live, so who cares what we do with him at this point? Let's just throw it on the nearest tomb. Oh, which happens to be Elisha's. So they throw it in there. His dead body touches Elisha's bones. Boom, he comes alive. So what's interesting here is that when nothing else remains, there's still Jesus. The last option became the best option. Look what it says in here. Verse 21. I think this is interesting. Once while some, while some Israelites were married man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. I think it was the scholars who said it was the, probably the first available tomb. Notice the, God's divine sovereignty and providence and everything here. There were nothing else remained. It's still Jesus. It's still Jesus. I, I think about that song, One Thing Remains, that we sing. And so what did they do? They threw, they threw, look back there in that verse, in verse 21. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. And I started thinking about, Lord, isn't that what we do? We throw our bodies into Jesus. We throw our lives into Jesus. And when we throw our lives into Jesus, he gives us help. He gives us faith. He gives us strength. So when you throw your body into light of truth, we throw ourselves into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The way we throw ourselves into the death of Jesus is we realize that we're dead without him. What is Galatians 2.20 says this? For I am crucified with Christ, it's a popular verse, and yet I live, not I, but what? Christ who lives in me. And then he says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's what happens. The life we now live is we live in Jesus. So they threw this body into, into um, to Elisha's body. It came back to life. What do we do? We throw ourselves into Jesus. We just absolutely say, you know what, Lord, even if there's no other option, there's always still an option with Jesus. Think about even when he said about temptation. No temptation to see you except which is common man. But yet God is faithful. He's provided a way of escape. First Corinthians 10, 13. We, there's always an option with Jesus. Whatever you're in, whatever you're in right now, there's always an option. Think about it. 
if it's if it's just whether it's a degree, whether it's a grandchild, whether it's a uh, uh, job uh, offer, or what do I do with my life? There, there's the option is Jesus, and sometimes God lets all the other doors close, so there's just one door to Him. Sometimes that always happens. Happens. You see this in His life, and then I thought about this. This is amazing. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit that was still on the body of Elisha, that was still on the bones of Elisha, it took away, think about this, it took away fear. It took away, I mean, whenever there's hope in Jesus, it takes away fear. They threw the body in, thinking, we've got to just discard the body. I mean, they were mourning. They were sad. This is a difficult time for them. And now it goes from bad to worse. Here comes these uh, raiders, and all of a sudden they run out. And yet the man that they were broken over comes to life. Comes to life. And that's what happens with Jesus. In the midst, in the midst of being scared, in the midst of fear, there's always hope with Jesus. And isn't it interesting? The same body that they were probably going to steal, the same body that would steal because they probably had rings on the body. Think about when they would bury somebody. Sometimes they were buried with their treasure. That's why they're coming to steal the funeral. The very person they were trying to steal is the very one who came to life. And it made me think about what the enemy does. The thief comes to do what saints? Kill. When we throw our lives into Jesus, oh, look, I don't want to hit myself. In other words, look what happens. Verse 21 there. Go back into it. Once while some Israelites were bringing men, suddenly they saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones. I couldn't even get past it. As soon as I read that, I felt like the Spirit was saying, but we have not been touched by bones. We've been touched by the blood of Jesus. We haven't been touched by bones. We've been touched by the blood of Jesus. It is so powerful here. Think about it here. Ephesians 2.13 Ephesians says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ brings us to Jesus. There's always a resurrection. There's always a resurrection with Jesus because the blood of Jesus always brings us to Christ and Christ is alive and he is well. That's the power of this resurrection. One of the last resurrections we have in the Old Testament, we see life coming from death. We see a dead man's bones bringing life to somebody else. How much more will Jesus bring life to us? I think about that. I think about the power that uh, Hebrews 10, 19 says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence, uh, have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We've been touched by the blood of Jesus. We've not been touched by bones. We have confidence to get into the holy place, to enter into the presence of Jesus. And into the Father. First John 1 17, excuse me, 1 7 says this. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, I love it, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Do you know that's what it is to walk in Jesus? That's what resurrection is. Resurrection language is this, is that we have been purified from every sin. Every sin that you have, this is really burning in me, I want to say this. 
Every sin that you have ever committed or ever will commit has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. It has not just been covered. Because you see what happens? Sin produces a blood stain. Sin produces death. Sin produces, but the wages of sin is what? So sin produces death. It produces a blood stain. And only the blood of Jesus can wash away the blood of sin. It's not something that we can fix. We can't make it right. We can't apologize enough. We can't give enough money. You can't. Listen, here's what it is. The blood of Jesus has set you right in front of the Lord. And you say, but John, I'm not right. You don't know what I did last night. It's, but here's what I do know. You say, I don't know what I've done last night. But I say, I do know what Jesus did. And what Jesus has done is greater than what we've done. Good or bad. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the power of the cross. That's what it is. We've been purified. Purified. Not just covered over. God doesn't cover over sin. He gets rid of it because he dealt with the judgment of it. That's why there is no judgment for us except to stand in front of him and then we will give him what we've done for him. That is why we will stand at the judgment of heaven and hell. We will stand at the great white throne there in that sense. So he purifies us from all sin. And because of that, I love, I, I think I, I love this part. I love what John Piper says, so we live to meet the needs of others because our needs have already been met. And God is living to meet our needs. Look at uh, Isaiah 64, 4. Isaiah 64, 4, you'll see it up here on the screen. And again, it's online. Since ancient times, no one has heard. I love what the prophet said. No one has heard, no ears perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And here God was showing the resurrection. The, the hero of the story is not Elisha. The hero of the story is going to be Jesus. It's all a foreshadowing of what Jesus did. It's all a foreshadowing that a dead man can bring life. That a dead man can bring life. You know, other resurrection stories we see a live man giving life to a dead thing. But in this resurrection story, and this is why I felt like we needed to dive into it today, is because we see a dead man bringing life. We see a dead man giving life to a dead man. All other stories have been a living man giving life to a dead, dead man. But not this story. What a foreshadow of Jesus. What a beautiful image of Jesus. Because in point number one, the reason why there's hope is because when nothing else remains, there is still Jesus. All the remains that were left were these dead prophet's bones. But what's interesting, even on his bones, there was life. The Holy Spirit's residue was still there. There was still power, power, which means it gives me such hope for all the people that we've loved, that love Jesus, that have died. There'll be a day that even though their spirit is with God, there will be a day cremated no matter what. It doesn't matter. There'll be a day when the material body will stand again. Which leads me to this last point. Point number two. Why is there hope? God is not the God of the dead, but the living. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Go back into 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21. Once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. 
God is saying that he is the God of the living and not of the dead. You remember, this should bring a remind, reminder of the story of Jesus in Luke 20. Luke 20, 37 through 38 says this. They were, they were talking, they were arguing with Jesus. The Sadducees were arguing with Jesus and they were saying, we don't believe in the resurrection because, and they tried to trick Jesus and they said, listen, here's a woman who's been married, her husband dies, and then all of a sudden she remarries because of the kinsman redeemer, and he dies, and then the third one, husband dies, she gets a fourth husband, he dies, so they go all the way to seven, and then they get in this question, they say, ah, it's a trick, Jesus. Well, in heaven, who's she going to be married to? And Jesus is like, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. He says, you, you think heaven is, is about man. You know, it's about the Lord. He's saying this because in heaven, we will, we will be like angels. We will be God's children. There's a difference there. There's a love in heaven that we will have for one another that we don't have on this earth. There's this depth of love and depth of intimacy. And don't think for a moment that you're going to be cheated. Don't think for a moment that you're going to be cheated anyway by God, by God not allowing you to love your spouse as much as you love them here. In fact, you will love them more. So then all of a sudden, Jesus responds. He says in verse 37 of Luke 20, but in the count of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. Remember when God encountered Moses, or I should say Moses encountered God. For he calls the Lord, Moses did, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. They had been dead physically for a long time. Yet God says, uh, through Moses says to God, you're the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. God calls himself that. He says the point is this. The point here is that, uh, I love what John Piper said, is your God in God, you must be raised. God is not the God of the dead. And your life with the Lord and in Jesus will not be a diminishing thing, he said. It cannot be. For he, he says, for I am your God. I do not diminish what is mine. I make it better forever and ever. And that's what God does for us. God is saying, here, even though Elisha's dead, he's still alive. And the residue of his life is still on him on his bones. And then I thought about this. The only way for us to be raised to life, or restored to life, I should say, is someone else's death had to happen in order to bring life to us. Think about it. Elisha had to die for this man to live. Think about that. That's what had to happen in the story. So we don't fret over what, uh, what happens in this, in, this, in this world because God is going to speak life to it. You might as well be coming play over me here. In, in, Romans, in Romans chapter 4, it says this. Talking, speaking through this. As it is written, as it is written, this is one of my favorite verses when it talks about faith language. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. This is going back talking about Abraham and his relationship and covenant with the Lord. He is our father in the sight of God in whom we believe, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Here's what's interesting in the Lord, and I wanted you to see from this resurrection, that God can speak to your life what you don't have because in Him you do have. I don't know if you understood what I just said, because here's what happens. You and I never would be, we will never be, or never would be, where we are without Jesus speaking and creating the life that we have now. 
In other words, God can take us places we never thought or that we never think we're going to be. When we are raised to life in Him. You know, we sing that song, Robbie has to sing sometimes, by Elevation Worship, and, you know, it's called Raised to Life. And it says, sin is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Our shame is great, but Jesus is greater. Raised to life is what the resurrection is about. And he calls things that are not as though they are. He calls Abraham a father of many nations, yet he has no children. That's what God speaks to us. He speaks his word, then we obey, and then God brings it to fruition. That's the way it works. So if you want your marriage to work, that's the way you do it. You listen to the Lord, and then you follow through. If you want God to do something at your job, which might end up getting you fired, which is great because God's taking away. But your job is to be a witness to the gospel, is to share the gospel. Your job is not, your life is not your job. If you want to make a difference in places, you have to speak to them like God speaks to you. Verse 18 gives all hope. Abraham and hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. The world says you have no hope, but the word of God says you have hope. Which will you choose? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. John, I'm in a dead, I'm in a dead grief. I'm in a dead situation. I'm in a dead situation. I'm in a dead situation. Job, career, grandchildren, whatever it is. You're thinking it's a dead situation. But here's the difference. God speaks resurrection. God speaks life. And here's what's interesting about all that. In the midst of dead people, there's still life. We were dead in our sins and our transgressions. And what did Jesus do for us? He brought our dead spirit to life. And now all of a sudden the world thinks that we're dead to them, which we are in some ways. Because the things that we used to do, we don't do. We're dead to that, yet there's so much life in Christ. And the world is saying, no, if you want life, come with me. There were these old commercials back in the day, some of y'all remember, because y'all were trekking with me. Miller High Life. Right? Some of y'all laughing because you know what I'm talking about. The High Life. So for me to have the High Life, I have to alter, I have to do something, I have to alter my blood alcohol and create some type of mental escape in order to experience the High Life or I can just follow Jesus. See, God will look at situations and speak to situations like they've never been. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, she's almost 90. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. And see, when God speaks a word to us, He speaks a word before it comes to fruition within us normally. 
And then we receive it by faith, and then we obey. That's called faithfulness. And then God begins to bring it about. But there's always going to be that delay between the word and the confirmation of that word. And the in-between is called the testing of our faith. And God is the God of the living and not of the dead. If you don't get anything else, to get that point today. God's always bringing life. He's always raising us to life. He's always putting us in situations where there's constant chaos and turmoil. Why? Because the children of God are bringing life to a lifeless situation. Man, then you leave a residue. And even when you're not there and you move on, there's still a residue of life. In the bones of Elisha, the Spirit of God, because he asked Elisha, his mentor, he said, I want a double portion of the Spirit you got. And his mentor, Elisha, said, I don't know if I can give that to you. That's up to the Lord. But he says, if this happens, if you see me taking off, you're going to have that. So that happens. There was a double portion that he had. And even on the bones of Elisha, there was still life. It brought me such hope. Because even when we are done serving in some places or whatever God's calling us to do, no matter what happens, there's still a residue of the power of God there. Then it also encouraged me so much in the Lord that even when people die, even when people die, there's still a resurrection. One day we know the Spirit's going to be with Jesus. One day we know the body will rise. Us, like Abraham, we have to be fully persuaded that God can do what He says He's going to do. That against the hope of the world, that God will do what He says He's going to do. And so people come in every Sunday on Palm Sunday and they raise these palm branches and they say, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they sing praises out to Jesus. And what they're really doing is saying, God, save us, save us, save us. And then when God wants to save them, they won't let them. So my question today, if you know of a dead situation, or you know that you might be in a situation where you're ministering to people that are in a dead situation, God is speaking life through you. And God is speaking life through me. And the moment that we live a life that's resurrected, the moment that we say, man, that stuff is dead to me, but there's a great life we live that speaks volumes to the people that are wondering, can this thing, can this situation, can this marriage, can these finances, can this house, can this job, this degree, this sweet mate, whatever else, can it be resurrected? The answer is yes in Jesus. And so... I'm going to ask you today, to the best that I can understand the Holy Spirit, what do you need God to speak like to? You can say, John, I've tried everything else. Then you've reached your best option, which is Jesus. Here comes the raiders. It's getting worse. We might die. Blow the body into the tomb of Elisha and run. What does God do? He doesn't just, this guy doesn't get an honorable burial. It's raised to life. You have a chance today to speak to a situation about God raising it to life. See, I always believe that there's hope in Jesus. That's the language he speaks. 
need him to speak that way. So I, what we do with Summit is we just open it up. We just let people come. And you just come and you just pray and you say, God, I need to pray for this person, this friend, this situation, uh, this degree program, uh, this grandchild, or maybe a personal situation. God, you are the God of the living, not the dead, and I claim it. And you just stand on the Bible and you just say, God, I just stand here and I stand on your word and I believe you that you're going to bring life to it, and you're going to use me. And God, it might seem really bad. There might be graveyard dead. There might be no way. In fact, there might be another conflict in the midst of that. And there might be a, a, a band of raiders coming in. And I just don't even know what to do. So I just throw it to you because my life, all this crazy stuff is happening. So I just throw it on to Jesus. I just give it to you. It is amazing that God can do more when we throw things on him. And what we can do. What do you need to be raised to life? Father, that is my prayer. There's people here today that want to pray and say, God, you're going to have to speak life to a dead situation. And I don't even know what that dead situation is, Lord. I have no idea. I mean, it, it, it could be something that they're personally experiencing. It could be something that their parents are experiencing, or their grandchild, or their children, or a co-worker. I mean, I don't even know what the dead thing is, Lord. But this is what I do know. That you are the God of the living and not of the dead. And even though Elisha was in the tomb, there was still life on his bones because he was still alive in the spirit. So you're speaking life to us. You're calling us to bring life to dead things through you. You'll do it, and you get all the glory. And so, Lord, we come today, and we echo the words that happened thousands of years ago. We pray today, Hosanna, <coughs> save. That's what the word means. Save this situation. Save this problem. Save this person. Lord, save. Step in and intervene. Save. There's nobody too far gone or too dead that you can't save. And so, Lord, maybe there's someone here today that feels like they are too far gone from you. In fact, they feel they're so far gone. They feel like they have to, they have to, Get their life right in order to come to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to that dead statement. That we can't get anything right to come to you. Because if we could get one thing right, we wouldn't need Jesus. And so I pray for everyone in this room, Lord. That you would speak to them. And that they... Lord, if they do not know you, there's only one way to resurrection. And that's through the one who was resurrected forever. And his name is Jesus, who died for our sins. Who you rose from the dead on the third day. And who is seated at the right hand beside you, Father, forever to be glorified because we get righteousness, that is, we become right with you because he was perfect. But 
Lord, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to say that we have sinned, that we recognize our sin has created a gap between us, and that we cannot fix that gap. But what we can do is repent from following the way that we're going and turn and follow you. That is my prayer. People will see Jesus. That you are the God of the living and not of the dead, and you would move people from death to life today. Lord, answer please the prayers for the people that are praying down front right now. Lord, as people are coming and doing that and have come and done that, speak to them, Lord, if they're in their seats and they're saying, Lord, I just, Lord, this needs to happen. It's so dead, it's in a tomb. It's so dead, it's been rotting for a while. It's so dead, there's nothing left but bones. God, I pray today, the word goes in. Save us. Raise us to life. Because Jesus, you were stronger. Oh, our shame was great. But Jesus, you're greater. And you've watched that all the way. So we worship you and we love you. This is our prayer.